pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 327. Today I'm going to chat with Rob Pincus, discuss ATF's new stance on solvent traps, highlight a new competition 22 from SIG, and talk about a new Dorito snack that packs a kick. I'm your host, Ava Flannell. Rob, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. This is a, a good time of year for me. It's like winding down. I'm actually going to spend, uh, I think I'll be in Colorado for 10 days straight without leaving. Oh, wow. Uh, December. Yeah, kind of exciting. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, especially because nothing's worse than like traveling around the holidays or like when the weather isn't that great because it's just like plane delays left and right. So that's good for you. Yeah, it is. So, so like when travel is life, and then you bump into people who never travel and then the airlines get overwhelmed like, oh, we didn't know Christmas was coming and it was going to snow at the same time. Yeah. And that could be a frustrating day. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. I know you could always tell the difference between people who travel a lot and people who don't when you're going through security. I've been traveling like pretty much my entire life. My mom taught us exactly how to do security, make sure your shoes are in front. Well, now I have, you know, TSA pre-check, but before that, you know, so that it's like, cool, you put your shoes on first, grab your stuff, let's go. And some of these people, I'm like, what are you doing? Is this your first time? <laughs> it's just like, have a system, right? Yeah. Like whatever your system is, have a system and and go. And, and I, you know, a little bit of grace. Yeah. People don't do it all the time. But then, then just follow the instructions. Like, don't argue with the guy saying, take the computer out. Well, my computer's in the bottom of the bag. Do I need to take it out? Yeah. Yes. You and the other 7 million people traveling today all together need to take it out. I know. Exactly. All right. Before we start the show, I'm going to talk about BSF barrels real quick. I actually shot mine, my BSF barrel. It was a short barrel rifle, suppressed. It did actually really well. And I was testing out a new charging handle. But if you guys aren't familiar with BSF barrels, they make excellent carbon fiber barrels. And Rob, I'm sure you know, you know, the benefits of having a carbon fiber barrel, lots of benefits that come with it and reasons why, you know, a lot of people gravitate towards it. So if you guys are thinking about maybe upgrading your gun with that barrel, check out BSF barrels. You can get 15% off if you use the code ELITE15, all one word, and that is bsfbarrels.com. Learn the things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. All right, so Rob, it's been a while since I've had you on the show uh, I mean, you do all kinds of stuff. You're kind of like me where you're everywhere at once. So you have the ice training. You work with Walk the Talk America, is it? Yep. Yeah. Walk Talk America are, are you know trying to reduce the negative outcomes at the intersection of mental health and guns. I've been with them since founding ICE training company, personal defense network, uh, obviously Avidity Arms now. Uh, we're, we're worn a lot of hats over the, over the many years in the industry. Yeah. I wanted to have you on because um, mainly to talk about Avidity Arms, but before we start doing that, just kind of give me a rundown of like some of the stuff that you've been doing and where you are like with training and, and why you've been traveling so much and everything that you've been up to since I've had you on 
uh, last, which I don't even remember what that episode was. I don't know. I was so 327. I mean, maybe it was in the 200s, but I mean, it could have gone all the way back to the 100s. It's I been, been a minute since we chatted. I mean, you and I talk, but not like in the the public sphere all the time. So this is kind of fun. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I've been really focused over the last, I'd say, 18 months. Uh, Avidity Arms has been a full-time job. So for those that aren't familiar, uh, I've been in the industry. 1997 was my first shot show. That's what I consider my first you know, entry into the industry formally. Um, I left full-time law enforcement in 2001 to get into teaching and training full-time. And that's really what I've done for the majority of the last 20 plus years is, is run a training company, um, work as a training consultant, provide training to military, law enforcement, um, all kinds of armed professionals all over the world, uh, but also develop programs. I think more importantly for the everyday person who's interested in, in having a gun staged in their home or carried on their person to defend themselves or others when they need to. And that's what ICE Training Company really has become all about and Personal Defense Network. And Personal Defense Network started as a DVD series uh, 18 years ago, um, shipped millions of DVDs with lots of different branding partners, ended up bringing uh, about 40 different instructors in over the years to that DVD series, which about a decade, 12 years ago, turned into a streaming service. So now we have personaldefensenetwork.com, um, lots of free information, paywall, different levels of membership, you know, that kind of a business model there, some advertising. We do the Personal Events Network training tour, which is how PDN and ICE come together. And that's me running around Earth uh, on ranges, in classrooms, uh, doing seminars or, or live fire classes, along with a, an amazing team of, of other instructors that some of them are te teaching my programs and many of whom with Personal Events Network teach their own thing, uh, whether it's overlapping in firearms or it's medical training or it's unarmed training, um, defense with a knife, that kind of stuff. So built a big network of, of great, great resources there. And uh, as we were alluding to, over the last uh, 18 months, I, I finally have brought to market a pistol that I designed uh, with a gun company that I started called Avidity Arms. And 2023 has been our launch year. Um, it's been interesting, lots of, lots of, lots of learning. And now 2024, I think, is really going to be uh, a year for us to establish, you know, more of what the future is going to look like, as opposed to having accomplished the goal of actually getting to market with the first gun. Very nice. And because you've been tr doing training for so long, I have to ask, um, has your training changed over the years? Have you adapted to any new teachings? Oh, yeah, it, it's it's constant evolution. Um, sometimes frustratingly so, you know, I do, I, I'm personally focused more on the instructor development, the curriculum development more over the last four or five years. And we partnership with uh, USCCA, USCCA's live fire program, uh, which they launched uh, with me in 2017. Uh, we started working on that in 2016. And it's really the latest evolution of my, what was called the combat focus shooting program when we started teaching it in 2003, 20 years ago, over 20 years ago now, 20, uh, 17, we launched the Defensive Shooting Fundamentals Program, Level 1 and Level 2 with USCCA. And again, I'm just super focused on the instructor development. So uh, one of my my phrases I use a lot in instructor development, I was just running a course a couple weeks ago in Nevada, and it's like, don't quote me to me. Because the problem is if you go to one of my books that I wrote in 2006 or 2010 or a video I did in 2014, Probably philosophically, I would say, you know, there isn't really any major philosophy I've changed since the, the late 90s when I started really developing my own curriculum and, and teaching. But a lot of the details, you know, the drills, uh, the way we explain things, the techniques in some cases, um, certainly the tactics, the way we approach tactics, especially for personal defense and home defense, 
has changed and evolved dramatically. And, you know, it's funny over the years, one of my biggest frustrations is instructors that see something and they say, that makes sense. They even might get to the point where they say that that's even better, but they don't want to change. And, and sort of like the longer they teach the same thing over and over again, the less likely they are to be even open to the idea, let alone comfortable with changing. And one of the things that comes up again and again is like, well, I've been saying this for years and quote unquote, it works. And it's like, I don't know what that means. Like you're on a range with paper or steel targets or rubber targets or something, and it works as opposed to giving your students the best possible information that you you believe is the best at any given point in time for the real fight that they may face, you know, outside of the range in their home, in a parking lot, you know, in the street and, and obviously for armed professionals. So when you look at, at military units, the higher ends tend to move faster, the, the lower end big military moves slowly, you know, turning the big ship kind of thing, but there's still evolution. Um, and, and generationally you see a lot of, well, this is how we do it. But then the next generation after, you know, a major conflict or major change in the way we handle conflict, there's a huge change. And we saw that in the, in the early 2000s, the global war on terror. But it's funny now I, I'm meeting guys who went through that, who are resistant to change again, because it's been 10, 15, 20 years. So in our programs, we're, we're constantly evolving. Um, one of the things I'll tell instructors is your lesson plan, you know, survives first contact with the student, right? Like the student asks a question or the student shows up with a piece of gear you weren't expecting and you need to teach them, not just teach a class. Mm -hmm. And uh, a constant evolution, constant challenging our own beliefs and our own uh, preferences or, or complacency is really important to curriculum development. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I'm going to take a quick break. Talk about gators. Gators Eye Pro, I love it because you could wear it just every day. It doesn't look like, you know, it's just for the range. And yesterday, for example, I spent all day at the range. I had an appointment to go to. And then right after my appointment, I was heading to the range. Well, of course, on my way to my appointment, I realized I forgot my ear and eye pro, which sucked about my ear pro because I use isotunes and I think it's the best. And so I had to use like the just the disposable kind. And then I shot a 308 full auto. And like, yeah, I really wish I had that that isotunes ear pro. <laughs> But with gators, because I have it in my car and it's like my everyday sunglasses, I was like, cool, well, at least I have, you know, good eye pro. So if you guys are constantly going from like everyday use to, you know, on the range back and forth, it's especially, you know, wise to possibly get gators, something that looks good just, you know, while you're driving, while you're running errands, and then as well as on the range. If you guys want to check out all of the stuff that they have to offer every day, they're doing a different sale. So definitely, you know, check out their website. And if they don't have a product on sale, maybe tomorrow they will or in the next day. Um, don't forget to use the URL gators.com forward slash Ava 15. And that's going to get you 15% off. All right. So, Rob, let's talk about the Avidity Arms. I remember interviewing you years ago. I want to say it was like maybe six years ago, five or six years ago. And this was very much still in the infancy stage. But you did have like, I remember maybe it was that SHOT Show or NRA or something like that. But you had some like replicas of it. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. I mean, for one, it has like a very slim profile, like it's much thinner than most guns you know, which makes it extremely easy to carry. But let's talk about like the process that you went through 
from the time that it became an idea to, you know, just getting it to where you are now? Because how long has it been in the making? Well, it was first talked about a bunch of friends of mine in the industry sitting around, we should start our own gun company kind of a conversation. And that was actually 2013 at uh, the, the European version of SHOT Show. It's called EVA. And uh, it's in, in Nuremberg, Germany every year. And I've been going, I think I've gone every year since 2006. Got a lot of uh, friends that work on both sides of the ocean. So I think there were a couple guys there that are primarily involved in Europe. And we were all looking at sort of the explosion in everybody and their brother selling AR-15s for, you know, $1,200 plus even back then after Sandy Hook. And it's like, wow, we really missed that boat because we were all involved in different aspects of the industry, but nobody in manufacturing. And we're like, why don't we get into manufacturing? And, and it was a very casual conversation. There were probably a couple of German beers involved and, and mm-hmm. didn't really, I think for most of the people at the table, it was just, you know, the kind of things guys say sitting at the table during a trade show and, and a sales boom. And uh, over the next year or so, a few of us from that conversation and, and maybe we brought one or two other people in and said, well, if we really were going to do this, it wouldn't be just to do, you know, another AR-15, but what would we do? And it kind of all eyes turned to me as, you know, it, as you know, in the gun industry, there are guys who are like accountants. There are guys who are graphic designers. There's guys who are salespeople. There's HR people in the building in corporations. Like they aren't necessarily gun people. So and, and while we were at this table really putting this together, I was the most gun person, I guess, of the gun industry. And, and certain seeing thousands of hands on thousands of guns over a long period of time, you start to figure out like, what gun shapes make more sense for more people. And then teaching defensive shooting, uh, you know, get some really strong opinions on, you walk into a gun shop, and there may be 250 guns on display, like 30 of them should be seriously considered for concealed carry. And then once you take somebody's hand shape or size or lifestyle or body type or whatever into, you take these different personal factors in, you may go from 30 to three. And then of those three, that person's then going to, you know, pick the one that looks best or feels right or is in the right price range or whatever. So I was the one I think I had the most well-developed or at least, you know, strongest advocated for positions on what a gun should be to to really add something to the market. So by 2014, I had the the list of, you know, here are the the features of the most, uh, the the gun that I think would most fit the most people who are really going to carry a gun and train with and practice. And that's a big part of it because so many people will buy the super subcompact gun and carry it. And we know, well, thankfully, most people don't ever really need to use their gun. So they're carrying this tiny gun. They feel like, okay, I've got a gun. I'm, I'm protected. I'm ready to protect myself and others. But then when they come to a class or they go to, to do most of their shooting at the range or practice, quote unquote, they would much more likely be using a full-size gun. You know, we see it all the time. Somebody comes to class and they're, they have a shield or they have a 365 or they have a Glock 43 that they carry, but they want to shoot a Legion 320 or the Glock 17 or the, uh, you know, Smith & Wesson M&P 2.0 or something, right? And it's like, I get it. Like, at least you're here. That's good. But I, But really, you should be practicing with what you carry. Yeah, but that's hard to shoot 400 rounds in a day. I get it consider maybe something bigger. And, and one of the trends that we tend to see, and we've seen a lot over the last five years in the industry, something like the 365 comes out and a bunch of people buy it because it's just kind of revolutionary, innovative in the idea. It's, it's a subcompact that carries 15 rounds. And then people realize, you know, that's not a great gun to shoot as much as the 320. What about something in between? Then you start seeing the macros and the XLs and the pluses and 
you see it with all these little subcompact stagger stacks that they all all of a sudden they have big brothers or big cousins. And that's what people tend to gravitate towards is this middle ground guy. Well, let's go back to before the Glock 48 existed. I wrote down the spec sheet for the PD-10 and it was a mid-sized gun, but as you said earlier, very thin, uh, 10 plus one capacity, designed to be very shootable, but also very carryable. And then with, with ergonomics and contours, especially up around the top of the grip and around the trigger area that would accommodate smaller hands or, or shorter fingers and shorter thumb people, uh, but not get lost in somebody with, with large hands, not get lost in their hands getting swallowed up. And you know, a lot of women have long fingers, guys have you know, giant paws, uh, so we don't want to leave them out of the mix. And I think a lot of the subcompacts, they make those guns just very hard to use. So the PD-10, um, I actually wrote an article uh, to sort of tongue in cheek without revealing the fact that I was intending to start a gun company in 2014 about the perfect set of compromises for a carry gun. And in that article, I listed the specifications of what would become the PD-10. And I would say it's 95%, 97%, that exact same list of specifications. Um, it does not have an ambidextrous magazine release. Uh, I've grown to believe that's less important than I originally thought it was. Um, with lots of input from left-handers. And it does have a slide cut for a red dot sight, which you know was not an industry standard thing 10 years ago or you know eight years ago. Uh, so we didn't have that incorporated. So the, the PD-10 as it sits today does have uh, integration for red dot sight. Uh, we actually launched with both a standard slide and a cut slide. And at this point, we're not even making any of the non-cut slides. So all the PD-10s that we're shipping are cut for an RDS. Uh, that's one of the things I definitely have, you mentioned earlier, like I evolved my opinion on, definitely evolved my opinion on the uh, appropriateness uh, or the validity of putting a red dot sight on a defensive carry gun. Uh, a, lot's, a lot has changed over the last 30 years in that respect. And uh, as the technology's changed and the gun designs have changed, it becomes a more appropriate thing. Uh, so, so our gun is set up for that, uh, but that, but that process started and was very slow. Uh, but, but as early as 2015 at SHOT Show, we had prototypes that we were shooting at range day. I used to run the, uh, Winchester range, uh, the pistol range, uh, during shot media day. And I could kind of bring whatever pistols I wanted, uh, I would bring a PD 10 prototype. So I think 15, 16, 17, we were, we shot prototypes on the range. Um, lots of people got their hands on it, lots of feedback, lots of thoughts. And then we kind of hit a wall and I hit a wall for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, some business life changes for one of my partners, personal life changes for me, uh, 2017, 18 into 19, then COVID hits and really the whole process took a big pause. And kind of thankfully, because looking back, the way we were trying to do it with multiple vendors around the country, with no one really having manufacturing experience, wasn't going to work. And it, it was it was hard to even get as far as we did. But in 2021, I made a, a connection with a manufacturer, a machine shop manufacturing facility that wasn't really involved in gun world very much in North Carolina. And that has led to an incredible partnership where now the PD-10, um, what brought it to market, what has gotten us where we are and, and is going to take us forward is the fact that that all of the machined parts, all the stamped parts, all the metal work is now done under one roof um, at our building in North Carolina. And and having a gun that we always knew was going to be American made, but now that is all made in one building uh, has really changed the project and allowed us to do a lot of the things that I wanted to do in the beginning the right way at the right price. And now moving forward, as we add new products uh, for 2024, uh, really is is the best path we could be on. And it was it was uh, an unforeseen opportunity that 
uh, the pause that we took in the in the development of Avidity Arms really allowed us to see, and it's, it's been great. Huh. Very nice. So I have one right here in front of me. I shot it yesterday, and I have a few questions. All right. So it holds nine, or you said ten plus one round, right? Yeah. Okay. So that actually, because looking at it just half fast, I thought it actually held eight rounds. But then I took out the magazine, as you mentioned, 10 plus one. And I was like, yeah, in fact, it does. You know, I mean, I'm counting nine uh, slots. So yeah, 10, which is more than I thought. Because at first I was like, yeah, cool, Rob. Like it would have been cool if this came out a few years ago. But like now with all the micro compact guns, you know, guns that are holding like 13 to 15 rounds and they're a little bit smaller, it's kind of hard to beat. But that makes a little bit more sense. A few more questions. So I'm going to try to describe it the best that I can, but it has uh, the two back sights. So they're just blacked out little notches. The front sight, who makes this front sight actually? Or is it? This is a sight uh, that comes from Ameriglow. And I designed this, we call it the claw sight uh, with them about 12 years ago. So this sight has actually been on the market for about a dozen years as the ICE claw because of that that forward uh Handed ridge on the rear sight for one-handed emergency manipulations, and then the front uses their square front sight uh, with a tritium insert, so that the square sits inside that big, right, wide rear notch, real easy to pick up for defensive shooting. And the tritium um, is something that, again, I've kind of evolved my thoughts on. I'm not a big fan of three dot. Mm. Uh, I don't think it is, is you know if you don't have it, you're you're foolish. Uh, but having it in there is uh, at the price that we were able to do it. I know that the market really likes it, and I don't think it takes anything away to add that to the square in the front. But to me, it's really about the big square sitting inside that wide rear blacked out notch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely pretty easy to just get on site without, you know. Yeah, I would agree with that. On the magazine, on the base plate, there's like a little, I don't know, I don't want to say it's like a claw, but this little... But it is. Okay. It's so, and is that just to do one-handed manipulations? Same exact thing. Yeah. So we actually did a run of uh, base plates for uh, Glock mags and Smith and Wesson uh, M&P mags. Also uh, a couple different times I've done that, uh, which is taking that claw idea from the site, putting it on uh, the base plate. So again, it, 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 it could help with a two-handed extraction. It gives you a little bit more to grab. Of course, we have the relief cuts in the bottom of the grip that let you get around the base plate also. Um, but really, they're there for for a one-handed extraction. As we move forward, um, for those who aren't familiar with injection molding, um, there's a, a few plastic parts on the gun. Obviously, the polymer base plates, the polymer frame itself, um, and the polymer trigger shoe. Those molds are incredibly expensive. And making it something that even seems like a simple change can take a lot of time and money. So right now, all of our base plates are shipping uh, with the claw feature. Uh, in the future, we're actually going to have uh, the gunship with two magazines, and one will have the claw, and then one won't. Because some people have said they don't like the claw on the spare magazine because it just creates a little bit extra surface for the mag to get potentially caught up in their clothing, or just harder to carry around, or mm -hmm. you know whatever the issue is in their pocket, getting it out of the pocket. So the idea would be that you would carry the gun with the claw-enhanced magazine base plate as your carry, and then if you had the malfunction problem, you'd be able to strip it easily. And the reload magazine would be would be smooth because it's going to be easier for some people to carry the however they're carrying their mags. So we'll have both of those options available in 2024. Nice. I like it. And um, as far as like its thin profile, I'm just trying to think like what are kind of like it sort of reminds me of like kind of like Springfield XDS, which I don't think they make that gun anymore. But that had a very thin profile, if I remember. Uh, I mean, it's been years since I've held one. But Otherwise, I can't think of any other gun that is like really this thin. Uh, granted, yeah, 
the mag is, you know, single stack, but even for other guns that are on the market that are single stack, it seems like there's a little bit more of a wider grip on it. Yeah. So if you like the Glock 48 is the place most people want to go for comparison because it's a 10 plus one also, and it's kind of a mid-sized gun also, mm-hmm. uh, but a lot thicker. If you hold them next to each other, I mean, they're dramatically thicker, uh, the, the, Glock 40, the Glock 48, and you don't expect that, you know, but it's like 15 to 20%, depending on where you're measuring it. Uh, the XDS is a, is a good, other good example. The slide of the XDS is noticeably wider than this. It's noticeably taller. If you, if you help, you know, one in each hand, the four inch slide, the XDS four inch, which I was a fan of that gun. I carried it for a lot of years. Uh, the XDS four inch is up that we have a four inch barrel on the PD 10 also, but if you hold those two slide and barrel assemblies in your hand, the weight difference is, is pretty astonishing to most people. They really don't expect the, the, there to be such a difference. It's a lot heavier and it also sits a lot taller. The grip of the XDS also puts the slide and barrel up above your hand more. So the way we've done the inside of the gun, I think is important. When polymer guns started really taking over the market, the technology for the injection molding and and the, the mix of polymer and glass fill and things like that, the kind of chemical structure of the plastic, it just wasn't as refined as, as it is today. And you couldn't be as exact as you can be today. So a lot of the guns from the, the 90s design era and then even go back to the Glock in the 80s, they have substructures, right? So like if you think of the Glock, the, the little plastic housing that holds, it's a, it's a harder plastic, it's like an ABS type plastic and it holds the ejector in place is one thing it does in the uh, Glock 48, 43, it holds the, uh, it holds a spring. It ca- it's actually connected to the trigger bar. Um, there's a lot of different ways these substructures, when you look at the SIGs, uh, they have the, the chassis, right? And that, that's built for a different reason, right? So you can have a modular gun, which is awesome. I love the little fire control units for that reason, but they also create extra width and extra height. So you, you're, you're compromising around these things. Well, with the polymer that we're using and the technique we're using for the injection molding, we don't need those substructures for the position of the parts and the trigger parts. We can get the reliability and consistency and the tolerances we need without the substructures. That lets us be even thinner than a lot of the design, well, any of the designs really that we're familiar with. The other thing is that this gun was never intended to accommodate 40 Smith and Wesson. Um, even going back 10 years ago when 40 Smith and Wesson was kind of still a thing, mm-hmm. um, especially in a lot of law enforcement, I never intended for the gun to be dual caliber in that way. So the gun isn't wide enough to accommodate a 10 millimeter magazine, uh, you know, 40 caliber, 10 millimeter uh, magazine or barrel. So that saves us a few tenths of an inch as well. Uh, So what we end up with is, is a gun that is point, or uh, I should say a few hundredths of an inch. We're at 0.9 inches wide on the slide. And that's thinner than the Glock 48, thinner than the Hellcat, thinner than the any on the shield, what ends up happening is when you put a, a hollow sun 407k or an RMSC shield, any of those footprint optics on our slide, you get about 0.05 inches of hang on either side. So it's not annoying. It's not obnoxious, but you can see that those optics, which are designed for the vast majority of guns that are out there on the market that are considered the slim compact guns, uh, those are uh, just a little bit wider than our slide. Now, um, a couple of companies, I've seen several prototypes. Uh, Swamp Fox has just put one out that has a 0.9 inch base, but then it flares uh, to be a wider uh, window for the optic. Uh, Sightmark has one that's 0.9 inches I just saw last month that goes straight up. Uh, there's a few other companies out there that are, that are toying with the idea of thinner 
optics, but there really aren't that many guns that will hold and the, and the guns that will hold them without them looking too small on the slide are all much smaller in total than the PD-10. You know, you talked about how there are guns out there now that are smaller that hold more rounds, and that is a big kind of negative right now as far as the, the marketability of this gun. But as I alluded to earlier, those smaller guns are also harder to shoot. And that's the balance we're trying to strike with the PD-10, is a gun that fills your hand um, with a four-inch barrel that puts lots of weight out in front of your hand that sits very low in your hand and yet is thin enough to carry easily and accommodate smaller hands. And I think for a long time, the, the idea has been if you want a small, if you if you have small hands, you need a very small gun. This is not a very small gun. It's just a very slim gun that is contoured in a way at the top of the grip, which you can look at those smooth areas where we cut in to 0.7 or even 0.8 inches um, in some areas of the grip. That's what allows us to accommodate the smaller hands uh, and really be comfortable um, in a wide range of, of human hand shapes and sizes. So at widest, at the outside of the slide stop, uh, we are at one inch. Hmm. And a lot of gun, a lot of gun companies will advertise, you know, their gun is one inch wide, and then the fine print is except the controls that stick out, you know, past what they're referring to as the gun. We're actually 0.8 or 0.9 inches wide. And we're one inch at the outside of the slide stop at our widest. Hmm. Very interesting. I'm going to take another quick break. Talk about Mantis. Do you have any experience with Mantis, Rob? I do. In fact, at Personal Network, we just put out some videos about how uh, the Blackbeard system can be used um, for, for what I would consider realistic defensive training uh, in some really cool ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you guys aren't familiar with the Blackbeard, it is essentially a dry fire system that you can put into your AR. You take out the charging handle, the bolt carrier group, re replace it with that Mantis it has a laser and then the magazine is the battery pack. And then they also have the Blackbeard X, which is essentially it looks like the Blackbeard at the regular one looks like a 20 round mag. The Blackbeard X looks like a 30 round mag. And the X will give you back the feedback that you would typically see on the X2, X3 and X10. Uh, really great way to practice. If you guys want to check it out, head on over to MantisX.com. Rob, I'm just holding this gun and I like the little indents on the frame of it. So uh, let's say, you know, when I grab the gun, my finger goes right there. You know, my, my index finger goes right up against the frame because it's not going on the trigger yet. And then my left thumb, once I, you know, grip it and my, my right thumb is on top of my left, that left thumb also hits that little part that's kind of indented. So it's kind of lined up. I don't know if you did that intentionally, but. Yeah, that's called, we call that the safety index point. So you'll notice there's there's three levels of texturing on the gun. Um, we've, we've got some very aggressive texturing, especially on the front and the back of the grip. We've got um, a more moderate texturing that that is on the parts of the grip that uh, I would say are the, the most linear areas above the the triangle pattern, which is more aggressive, again, especially in the front and back. And then there's some relatively smooth areas uh, under the back strap at the tang and then as you contour in um, under the trigger guard the trigger guard itself and as you contour in around uh, reaching to the trigger and around the the magazine release so 
the smoothness obviously is is where we don't need a lot of friction, I think, to control a gun, and we don't want a lot of abrasion um, to make shooting less comfortable. The heavier areas on the front and back of the grip are there for the friction to keep the gun from moving up and down, you know, relative to the hand while shooting um, under a variety of conditions. Well, inside of those divots that you're talking about, which we refer to as the safety index points, uh, you see that very heavy. Uh, heaviest level of texturing. And that is, so you have a tactile reference, not only the shape, but the feel that you know, boom, that's where your your trigger finger goes until you're ready to shoot. For years, I've taught people to to find a seam between the, the frame and the slide uh, to be sure they're above the trigger, not down on the trigger guard and not up so high that they're blocking the ejection port with when they have their finger in a safe place, right? So the safety index point is originally that's what it's there for. And it's on both sides of the gun. So le- right hand, left handed. And immediately what, what you find is for most people use the kind of grip I recommend. It sounds like the grip that you use. Uh, when your thumbs are layered, but not crossed and your left hand is up high uh, or your weekend, whatever side you're on is, is up high on that side of the grip. The thumb of the weekend ends up going right into that divot as well for mm-hmm. most people. And and it's almost like, you know, people talk about a, a a speed pedal, you know, a gas pedal, a, a speed ledge, whatever you want to call it, on some of the competition guns that help you manage recoil. That was not the intention of of putting that divot on both sides, but that's how a lot of people uh, tend to use it. Hmm, interesting. And then, can I ask why you didn't do front serrations? I mean, I'm not, yeah, I'm not a, a huge fan, fan, but I was just curious. That's why um, I, I this is this gun is is what Rob Pincus thinks the vast majority of people need, and and Rob Pincus definitely thinks the vast majority of people need to not be messing around with their gun uh, under or over that down there by the muzzle. So gun handling out at the muzzle, not a big fan. I understand, you know, it came out of the competition world back when all the red dots were giant contraptions sitting up on top of the gun. Uh, there there are some reasons uh, why it's ne- necessary in those circles. And then it sort of grew out of those circles without any context of need. Uh, I'm not a big fan of things like press checking, administrative gun, yeah. that kind of stuff. Anyway, it's so dumb. Uh, yeah. So, so that's what I see most people doing out front there. So I really, at, on a point of principle and, and just, I'm primarily an educator, you know, before a, a product manufacturer for sure. So we didn't put it out there. Now, what I, I, what some people have noticed and what I will sh- talk about sometimes is in an emergency people say well, what about an emergency rob what if it's the only way well again i i'm not exactly sure what contrived circumstances you're imagining mm-hmm. but we do have those scallop cuts which allow back pressure on the slide and the logo itself is actually cut in pretty deep and can give you some level of friction so it's not like the slide is completely slick out there and you, you couldn't get friction if you quote unquote needed it for some reason. We're coming out with a five inch version in 2024. So we'll see that people will be able to see it at SHOT Show. I've already put some pictures out in social media and some videos um, through the Avidity Arms accounts. But uh, the five inch version does have serrations, but they're about an inch uh, to an inch and a half back from the muzzle. So even in the five inch version where I'm saying, okay, now we have some room for people that, that like the idea of the front serrations. We'll put some serrations out there, but we're not going to put them way out by the muzzle because again, that's not where I want people messing with the slide. So the the serrations on the five inch version will be set back about an inch and a half uh, where there really isn't room for that on the four inch version. Interesting. Okay. And then what is MSRP for this gun? $625. Uh, most shops were seeing it 599 597 in that range, just under $600. Very cool. And if anybody wants to check out more information about the PD-10 
or any upcoming guns that you have, well, what's your website? Yeah, avidityarms.com and we're Avidity Arms uh, on the Facebook and on the Instagram as well. And then what if people want to take uh, your training? I mean, I was going to make a joke when you were like, yeah, it's on DVDs. And I was going to be like, what are DVDs? <laughs> but it sounds like you also kind of grew with the times and which is kind of sad. DVDs actually really didn't last that long. But uh, if anybody wants to, you know, purchase a membership or, you know, watch any of your videos and stuff like that, what is the website for that? PersonalDefenseNetwork.com, um, and they can download the full DVD length one hour content from the olden days if they want uh, there as well. They can also obviously watch it. A lot of the DVDs, we took the chapters and put them into clips. So most of the clips at PDN are four to six minutes long. Some of those are chapters from the, the 117 DVDs we produced over the course of about 15 years. Uh, but a lot of them now obviously have been purpose recorded just for the streaming platform. And um, we've got some full length classes at PDN Academy and things like that. But what I always tell people to do is like go there, look, put anything in the search engine or look at the new videos, you know, find something, some topic you're interested in. Where, and again, it could be emergency medicine, home defense, alarms, gear, holsters, whatever, reloading techniques. And just when that pop up comes up that says you can become a premium member, just close it and go back like once a week, look for something interesting. Maybe there's something you can share with somebody else. Maybe you you already know, you know, some of the basic stuff, but you find a basic video that would be good for somebody in your family or a friend. And if you find yourself, you know, finding value in the free stuff over, you know, a few weeks or a month, then yeah, click on that opportunity to get in is usually a sale going on for your first year, your first opportunity to become a premium member or gold level, whatever it is, then you're going to find value behind that paywall as well. But but we've got thousands of pieces of content. A lot of them are there for free. Check it out. Maybe sign up for the free newsletter and, and go from there. Okay, great. All right. And then also, if anybody wants to follow you on social media, it's just Rob Pincus, right? Yeah, Rob Pincus or Pincus Rob, P-I-N-C-U-S-R-O-B is is where I ended up at uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Um, and then I've got Rob Pincus, uh, both professional and personal pages on the internet. I, it's like I, we were kind of started with between Second Amendment Organization, Walk the Talk America, Vidity Arms, IC Training Company, Personal Defense Network. And I've been talking about guns on the internet since like 300 baud modems, uh, oh. like later discs and VHS, Betamax and all that stuff. So if you if you know how to use the internet, you'll be able to find something that'll get you to to the content, to the class calendars, uh, to the firearms. It's we've been out there for a long time. So there's a lot out there. Perfect. Moving on with the rest of the show, IWI. I actually just uh, shot my Zion 15 yesterday. And I've shot it before in the past, but I never owned one. And so I had IWI send me the rifle version. And I got to say, I really like it. Like it shot really well. Best of all, it's under $1,000. It has a 16-inch 4150 chromoly barrel, obviously chambered 5.56, mid-length gas system. Uh, they come equipped with the 15-inch free-flow M-Lock handguard. And then uh, the grip and stalker from B5 Systems, which are known for just being really rugged, lightweight, and comfortable. If you guys want to check it out, head on over to IWI.us. If you see anything in their web store, which they have all kinds of stuff, literally just select the gun that you have, and it will tell you all the accessories that you can buy for it. 
uh, a lot of stuff that isn't, you know, that IWI doesn't even make. So it's a good opportunity to get, you know, a sale on some products that you would have bought anywhere else. Because if you use the code GUNFUNNY15, all one word, you're going to get 15% off. And again, that's IWI.us. Politics. What is going on in the world today? It's political AF. Today in politics, ATF says solvent traps are illegal. Solvent traps, if you're not familiar with them, are devices that attach to the barrel of a gun to collect solvent, but very few people actually use them for that. They're designed with baffles that you can drill out to convert them to use as a suppressor. So basically, a more affordable alternative to suppressors where you complete them yourself, you know, kind of like an 80% suppressor. For years, people have been purchasing solvent traps and jumping through the rules, filing Form 1s, paying $200, waiting months for approval, and making them into legal suppressors. Recently, though, the ATF has been denying applications to make suppressors and even started requiring submitted pictures of kits that you plan to use. ATF is now saying that solvent traps don't exist in legal terms. ATF recently shared a letter to FFLs detailing this assertion. They said that some devices marketed as solvent traps are suppressors because of the objective features and characteristics. In usual manner, they won't disclose a definite list, but they need to look at the individual parts to determine. They mentioned if it has baffles, spacers, porter inner sleeves, expansion chambers, end caps, and more. Basically, if it can be converted easily into a suppressor, they're saying that it is a suppressor and therefore it is illegal. And just like they've been declaring with illegal machine guns, they don't have to be completed for the ATF to consider them illegal. In other words, if you have a solvent trap that has not been completed, they say it's an illegal suppressor and there's no way to make it legal. They say it was made as an illegal suppressor and cannot be made legal even with an approved Form 1 because it started out illegally and wasn't transferred properly. They're telling everyone with a solvent trap to contact their local field office to divest themselves of the device, (laughs) which is actually really funny because... I mean, your field office, so okay, contact your local ATF agent and tell them that you have this. And I'm sure that there's probably going to be charges. I would say, you know, maybe contact legal counsel before contacting ATF regarding something, if you do have something like this. But it's kind of crazy because, like, there's no amnesty for the people who even tried to follow the rules. Because I know, like, people have been doing this for years. And so even, let's say, people that did do the Form 1 and, like, did go about it the right way, I'm guessing for those people, they're just assuming that they have an illegal suppressor now? Yeah. So I've been, as you know, I don't know if the audience knows, I'm really involved in the private gun making space. Um, I run the gun makers match. Um, We're our fourth year of that. I'm heavily involved in the 3D printing community. In fact, Avidity Arms put out a version of our frame just for 3D printers, and we sell them kits so they can build their own guns. And, you know, quote unquote, ghost guns. So what's happened with the solvent traps is really just an application of the ATF stance on some versions of 80 percenters that we know, like gun building kits that can be, you know, and you even use the phrase can be easily converted to that's sort of their phrase, right? Uh, As well, if, if something, if you make it too easy, then they say, well, it's practically a gun anyway. So it's illegal for you to sell it unless you sell it as a gun. And the, the kit world, the kit building world, has really been struggling with keeping up with the uh, the gymnastics 
uh, the ATF and their their vague and uh, duplicitous and and constantly redefined rules. So now it's being applied to solvent traps. Well, obviously, I'm a big fan of the idea that we should be able to build whatever we want, and and you know the, the big thing should be the emphasis should be on safety. Like, don't build something that's going to become a grenade on the end of your gun. Build a well built suppressor that's actually going to make your gun hearing safe and not turning into shrapnel. And then boom, you're you're good. That's Rob's rules, right? We don't need to register it. We don't need tax stamp. We don't need approval. Like that's what it should be. Mm-hmm. However, it's not where we are. So the whole Sullivan trap thing, I've been critical of from the beginning because they should have just, I believe, just been marketed as suppressor kits. Because you know, I don't know anybody. I, I mean, I've you know been I'm old and I've been in this industry for a long time. Solvent traps is a made up concept to get suppressor kits out. And unfortunately, a lot of people, I think. It took a long time, let's just say, for the gun building community and for the gun community at large to catch up to the idea that solvent traps weren't just a precursor to an illegal suppressor anyway, but there actually is such a thing as a legal process to build your own suppressor and use a Form 1. And so for some suppressor companies didn't want that being promoted. They didn't want, obviously, they feel like it eats into their business. But I'm like, hey, suppressor company, how about you start selling kits? And just like Polymer AD sells kits and, and that use Glock parts or Avidity Arms is putting a frame out there that uses our metal parts that people have to buy from us. There's a business model here. So I think a big business opportunity was lost by the suppressor part of our industry the, 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 where they could have been selling kits to people and promoting the idea of Form 1s and the craftsmanship and the kind of pride of ownership of building your own suppressor. Instead, we had this kind of tongue-in-cheek, sketchy solvent trap, you know, industry build up. And and it's always been a bit of a, a, a black eye, I think, in the way it's been approached because it's not approached with pride, with integrity, with shall not be infringed, with the Second Amendment and private gun building and the, the authenticity of that at the forefront. It's always been this like subtle wannabe inside joke. Well, now the ATF comes out and says, well, guess what? If your solvent trap has uh, anything that makes it really a suppressor on the inside eventually, and if it has the indentations or the markings on the outside where you might drill or even on the inside, you know, it's center tube where you might drill. If it's got anything that indicates what you're supposed to do, then it's practically a suppressor. And that's what they've done with with 80% as well. If, if it's got indications where you drill the holes, if it's got different polymers where you you mill out the with, for the fire control unit in the AR type polymer ones, the first ones that came out, they said, nope, you're making it too easy. That is illegal. And they're now doing it with solvent traps. So the whole idea that that it's like, okay, now another section of the gun community has been affected. It's kind of like the the bump stock thing, right? Nobody really cares about bump stocks because they were kind of just a joke and a toy and a novelty and hardly anybody had them. So nobody really fought that hard um, when they were going to be taken away from us. Well, gun building, 80 percenters, is become incredibly popular over the last five to 10 years, but it's still only a section of the gun community. There's this other section that is the solvent trap homemade suppressor group that now they're being affected by this as well. And I think that's what the ATF does, right? They they go after something that they think they can get a foothold on. And once they start asserting kind of ridiculousness and it, it becomes maybe established in the in the narrative that they're putting forward, now they apply it to something else. And that's what they've done with the homemade suppressor kits, which is really all solvent traps ever were. And I wish that they had been marketed as such, and maybe then that group would have been part of the fight, you know, on the rules around gun making that we've been fighting for the last four or five years very, very hard and very, very loudly. Homemade suppressor people should have been involved in that fight as well. 
Um, but there was a little bit of a divide and conquer thing going on. So it, it's unfortunate, um, very predictable. Uh, I still want to see people doing form one suppressors. Just don't buy something that you're, you're, you may be getting yourself into trouble on the way to your homemade suppressor. As for the people who already have filed form ones and gotten them back approved, you know, that's the ATF has said those are now legal suppressors. So it's, I don't, I, I've seen nothing that indicates this is retroactive. You have a legal suppressor. If you filed the form one and paid your taxes and went all through those hoops, you're good. It's the people that are caught in the middle right now who, who may have bought the kit when it was, you know, pay cash at the gun shop or order it online and it's completely legal ostensibly. Now the ATF is saying retroactively, no, it's not. You have contraband and we're not going to compensate you for it and you better turn it in and trust that we're not going to charge you. Uh, I think all that's incredibly sketchy. If, if I had one of those things and I did not intend to find a legal way to build it, uh, I wouldn't turn it in the ATF. I'd just torch it in half and write it off and throw it away. I, I wouldn't go knock on the ATF's door and said, hey, I got one of these things. That's <laughs> yeah, me. yeah, exactly. This segment is brought to you from Rose by Sig Sauer. I'm here with Linda from Vance Outdoors. We met at the Nashville Rose Retreat. If you guys didn't hear about her in the first segment, she's a firearms instructor at Vance Outdoors. And continuing on with the interview, I have to ask, what were your favorite parts about the retreat? And it could be anything. I mean, you could be like, hey, it was the charcuterie board when we were in downtown Nashville, which was amazing and really impressive. But, you know, just name off like a few of your favorite parts. Well, I would say that, you know, getting spoiled because that's not something I do in my regular life, you know, from them picking us up at the airport in the black cars and the check-in process was private and just from top to bottom, it was getting spoiled. And I, I did have a wonderful time at the, the evening where we did the line dancing. That was so much fun. Yeah. Have you ever line danced before? Oh, yeah. Many times. Oh, OK, yeah. well, I've I've tr attempted a few times, <laughs> but that was probably the closest that I've come to actually line dancing. And it was fun. I'm not the most coordinated person. But yeah, if if you guys didn't know, they brought in an instructor to teach us all how to line dance. And we all did that. And it was fun. I mean, most of us was we were fairly in unison. I was yes. in recording. And I was like, wow, I was still really off. <laughs> But it was yeah. fun to learn that. And then also going back to what you said with the check-in process, that was, you know, just really, yeah, it was like nice. Like right when we got to the hotel, there were SIG employees to greet us. When we got into our room, there was a little care package. There was even, and I still have it, this little uh, bag that was like things that you might have forgotten. And it had like all these like little, you know, like I think it was like toothpaste, toothbrush, maybe like a Tide pen a uh, sewing kit, maybe some lip balm, like just, you know, odds and ends that you might have forgotten that you need, you know, that you would have needed on the trip. That was really nice. Are there any other parts that you could think of that are pretty memorable that SIG did? Uh, not necessarily that SIG did, but I loved meeting all of you ladies and hearing your stories and where you are in the process and your journey and why you're there and how you became you know, into this industry. And um, I just met some really great people. Yeah, I yeah, that was also great. It was the first morning, uh, everyone went around and introduced themselves. And I mean, everyone had different experiences. And I thought it was great to get to know everyone. 
Have you used your P365 or any other guns since the retreat? Uh, not the rose. The rose went straight into the safe. But, <laughs> but I train regularly with my carry gun, which is a, a SIG P365XL. So very similar to the 9mm rose. And then I'm generally shooting various other handguns or rifles throughout the week in my training or in my own training as well and and in teaching classes so yeah i it's just a passion for me yeah i have to ask why did it go into the safe is it because it was customized yes (laughs) okay and so if you guys didn't know sig sent everyone on this retreat a p365 rose but ours was custom where it had the Nashville skyline on one side and then on the other it said 2023 and so it was really special and I agree I have shot mine I'm using it but it is one of those things where it's like one of a kind and they probably only made about 20 to 30 of them so I I agree with you Uh, a little guitar on the top was also pretty special oh yeah I guess I didn't even notice that yeah they did all kinds of like really you know really cool stuff and then I will say I did get quite a few goodies from the trip that I have not used, like the rose blanket. It's still wrapped up like in its nice little ball. And I'm like, I will use it. I'll get around to it. But I also am kind of like, I know that it's hard to find. And a lot of the stuff that we were given isn't stuff that is necessarily for sale. So I also don't want to, I don't know. I'm like, it could be a collector's item or something. (laughs) The same. I feel the same. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, would you say that this experience, I know, you know, I'm asking everyone the same questions, but would you say that you feel more confident or probably the same using your firearm now after the retreat? So for me, the retreat did not specifically change my confidence or comfort in shooting. Um, We did figure out a little issue I was having in shooting in that the flat trigger doesn't work great for me. Mm -hmm. So I switched my carry gun out to the curb trigger Hmm. but that was that was something i did learn yeah interesting how did you come to learn that uh one of the city guys that was there when we were shooting i was just trying to figure out why i was you know off not not terribly off target i was just like half an inch low yeah and we were talking about it and he said this he did the same thing he ended up changing the trigger on his to the curve trigger and it helped him and and it has definitely helped me and mm. just able to reach and get my placement on the trigger better. Wow. Yeah, that's that's great information to know. Okay, so wrapping this up, uh, you are an instructor with Vance Outdoors. If anyone is interested in taking a class with you, which I think learning from a female, whether you're a female or male, I think is great. There's no egos and you could ask all the questions and it's just... Generally, I think it's a more comfortable environment. For anybody who wants to, you know, check out the store or take classes with you, what is the website? It is vanceoutdoors.com. And then what state are you located in? We're in Ohio and and our specific range is in central Ohio. All right, great. Thank you so much, Linda. I appreciate it.
If you like to shoot long range, you need Caldwell's new flashbang target hit indicator. It's an LED light that attaches to the back of your steel target and flashes when there's hits. This is perfect if you're shooting like 22 LLR and there may not be much sound when it hits the steel or even like 556 if you're shooting at a thousand yards or even just the other day here in Colorado, it was like super foggy for like a good 48 hours. And I would say that that would be perfect even if you were shooting at, you know, I mean, you couldn't really see more than like maybe 100 yards. So that would also work really well as well. It has 10 super bright LEDs triggered by impact. It's powered by three AA batteries, which lasts over 5,000 impacts, and it will work with any steel targets over five inches. And then best of all, it's only $29.99, but if you use the code GUNFUNNY10, all one word, you're going to get 10% off, and that is CaldwellShooting.com. Tactic Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. SIG introduces competition-ready P322. SIG just introduced the new P322 comp based on their new P322 tricked-out ready-to-enter competition with. The P322 was a popular hit in rimfire pistols with 20-round mags, reliable feeding, and threaded barrel out of the box. Now they've taken a step further with the P322 comp. It comes straight from the factory with fiber optic front sights and Romeo Zero Elite red dot. And they don't stop there. They tricked it out with the features common on open-style competition pistols. It has a slide racker installed for fast racking, a barrel-mounted compensator with two ports to completely eliminate the slightest muzzle rise, a sport takedown lever with go-fast-style pedal for resting your offhand thumb on. It includes a 25-round mag as well as the standard 20-round the Palmer Grip module includes an extended magazine catch, adjustable trigger shoe, an integrated mag weld to speed reloads, and a standard 1913 Picatinny rail for accessories. The internal hammer-fired action has a clean, crisp trigger inside the two-toned competition slide with ambidextrous controls. This sounds like they did a really good job. Like, they included everything. <laughs> There's literally nothing else you could do to that gun. I know. It actually sounds like incredibly fun gun to take to the range i know i was like as i'm saying everything i'm like okay take breaths in between everything else that they're <laughs> offering i don't know what msrp on this is or what it's going to be but i definitely want to check this out at shot show but yeah i'd say if you do competition or even if you're just looking for something like fun to plink with at the range and you want it to be extremely accurate and easy to shoot which i mean 22s are easy to shoot as is but I would definitely check this out, and that is SigSour.com. Smith & Wesson. So, Rob, I have to ask, you know, since you've, you know, been teaching for as long as you have, like, would you say that, like, the Smith & Wesson M&P 2.0 would be, like, a really good gun for, I mean, I guess, one for people to learn on or, like, home defense or, you know, just practicing at the range? Or uh, are there any other, like, Smith & Wesson guns that you would recommend? That's the one that jumps out. It's funny, when, you, when we were talking about that super loaded up 22 a second ago, and I was thinking back back when I used to do competition, I had the Smith & Wesson Model 41 22s, which are amazing guns. I've got a couple of those in my collection, but obviously I spent more of the last 20, 30 years looking at their defensive lineup and 
the M&P, when it first came out, fit so many hands so well. You know, it was so, so ergonomically, so much ergonomically better than a lot of the other blocky guns that were on the market for the polymer striker fired guns. Mm. And I think what they did with the 2.0 was a really great evolution of, of an existing design without going too far with the changes and making a gun that, that fits even more people well. Um, so particularly for like a duty gun or for a home defense size gun, or someone who's just getting into it and wants to, to buy something that they could use for defense, but just wants to enjoy shooting. Yeah, I think that that 2.0 definitely hits the mark and, and it's in the right price range too for, for a lot of people just getting into it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If you guys want to check it out, head on over to smith-wesson.com. Stupid, funny, cool, interesting, awesome, as f- Never mind. AF. Doritos with a kick. Dorito chips has gone a lot of places. They're featured in games, shows, and are one of the most popular snacks today. One place they've never officially gone is into alcohol. Until now, PepsiCo Inc., parent company of Doritos, has officially launched a partnership with Empirical Spirits. Copenhagen-based Empirical is no stranger to making unconventionally flavored spirits and creating the concoction by accident. Reportedly, the flavor has been hanging out in their lab for a while after creating it back in 2017 from experiments with licorice, parsley, and the North American spice mix. I don't even know how to say this. Ross and Hanat? I don't even know. One of the production guys went to lunch and came back with a bag of Doritos and said, eh, why not, and threw some in the mix. When he tasted it, it was so much like Doritos. Uh, he laughed. They wisely approached PepsiCo with the idea rather than get sued releasing it on their own. Pepsi is actually supplying the chips to the Endeavor. A two to three fourth ounce bag of chips gets into every bottle of the 42% ABV booze, which is vacuum infused with a distilled Pilsner malt. Reportedly, it tastes just like a real bag of Doritos, including the corn flavor and nacho cheese. Also, like eating a bag of chips, it reportedly even leaves a dry feeling in your mouth, just like eating a bag of chips, which is so weird to me. I'm like, you're literally drinking alcohol and then it gives you that dry taste or that dry feeling. There are already recipes uh, for maximizing the flavors, including like double triangle margarita and Bloody Marys, which maybe in Bloody Marys I could see. But otherwise, I'm just like, ew, why did they do this? The only other thing that I like using like the Dorito shell for is like Taco Bell, which I don't eat a lot of Taco Bell. But if I do, I'm like, oh, yeah, I love the Dorito shell because it just kind of gives it like that little something extra. But as far as like Dorito spirits go, I don't know if I would ever really try it, but if you guys do want to try it, it's a limited release and uh, it's on pre-sale now at the Empirical's website for uh, $65 a bottle. I guess if you guys are looking for like a last minute uh, white elephant gift, maybe this would be it. (laughs) That's amazing. I was horrified by all that until the Bloody Mary part. And then it's kind of almost made sense. Like, oh, there's a reason. Yeah, I know. I'm with you on the... First of all, crunchy tacos are the only tacos. Second of all, Dorito shell, yes, including at home. But the but the, the booze just sounded like a horrible, horrible, silly idea. Until the Bloody Marys, now I'm going to order a bottle. You know, so if you like Bloody Mary, which Bloody Mary, I could drink every day, uh, like regardless of the time of day. It's not just like a Sunday, you know, brunch thing for me. And I go all out and like the spicier, the better. Recently, I went to a party and uh, they had like a whole Bloody Mary bar. It was amazing. 
but they had so pinnacle vodka which i stay away from because it's kind of like not it's, i'd say it's like mid-shelf but you know as you get older you want like top tier because it's like less likely to give you a hangover but they had the habanero infused pinnacle vodka and i have to say that was really good definitely gave it a nice spice so if you like it spicy i would definitely recommend that and then i don't know maybe maybe i would throw this in the dorito one i get to try I'm, I'm interested in trying it i'm not so I don't like red or green pepper spice. So I'm not habanero. I'm out. Ghost pepper doesn't come near me. But I love horseradish and black pepper. So if, if I'm doing the Bloody Mary at home, it's lots and lots of horseradish. Like, yeah, I love horseradish. I horseradish. Yes. But I wouldn't do that on here. But so that's, that's where this Dorito flavor might be wonderful or horrifying. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Watch my social media after the new year for a report. <laughs> I'm like, all right, guys. Well, if you're wondering what to get Rob for Christmas, there you go. Slightly, I don't don't need one. I'm good. (laughs) Slightly off topic, but on my other podcast, Pew Pew Panel, my co-host Eric from Iraq Veteran Eight 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 Eight, we had some random guy send us or sent him uh, some peppers. I wasn't about to eat something that some random guy sent me. I know better than that, Eric. Not so much again. (laughs) But anyway, so he eats on. An episode coming up, so it's not this week's episode. It's not the one that launches tomorrow, but a week later, which we already did. He did survive, spoiler alert, but not by a lot. He eats a, I think it was 2.7 million Scoville hot pepper. And it was just, I mean, he was crying on the show. And yeah, so ridiculous. I did one of those, like, you're not a man if you don't try this things at a dinner party one night. I tried it and it was, it was horrifying. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so that sounds like what he just went. I, I, I haven't hung out with Eric in a while. He's a good dude, but I don't look at him and immediately think his South Georgia, you know, good old boy self wants 2.7 million Scobills in his mouth. So yeah. good on you, Brian. I mean, he definitely had, he was also drinking uh, Pepto-Bismol. The guy told him, you know, to prep, eat some starchy food. So he had some mac and cheese. So the guy was trying to, you know, set him up for success, which he did. I mean, he survived. So right. if you guys want to watch that, definitely tune in next week to PP panel. It's freaking hilarious. All right, Franklin Armory. Well, if you guys haven't checked out Franklin's new binary trigger for Glocks, it's called the GS173. And it comes with the slide, it's optic ready, and then the binary trigger that you would install. I have it, I've tried it out, it's pretty fun. So if you guys are looking to take your Glock to the next level, definitely check it out. Uh, FranklinArmory.com, don't forget to use the code AVA, that's A-V-A, and you're going to get 10% off your entire order. And now it's time for iTunes reviews. So you guys have all been waiting for this because I said once I have 10 reviews, which uh, I only read to a show... Once I have 10 reviews, then I was going to pick a lucky winner to win the AccuTech bipod. The last two reviews are from NorCal Gunnut, titled Awesome Content, Five Stars. I love the way you interact with your guests. You're not afraid to mess with them. I appreciate your sense of humor. It keeps me listening. Keep doing the segments on YouTube with your dad. It reminds me of my relationship with my dad. Second is Tin Man 4X titled Always Informative and Funny Five Stars. This week's episode with Jeremy from Black Holler was great. If he's this funny while on his deathbed, you must have him back on when he's at full strength. Great show and keep up the good work. 
All right. So, Rob, I have like all 10 people listed without even telling you who they are or anything like that. So I want you to draw a number from one to 10. Okay, done. All right. What is it? Five. Five. All right. So two, three, four, five. All right. So Casper Paint B, you are the winner. Just contact me. Go to gunfunny.com. Click on the contact us form and just send me your address, your mailing address. And then I'll send that to Felipe from AccuTech and he will send out that bipod. But I do appreciate everyone writing a review. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the show. It's time to finally wrap up. Uh, you can find me at GunFunny. There's links to everything on there, YouTube channel, social media, all that good stuff. If you enjoy the show and you want to support it, consider becoming a Patreon. You can make a one-time donation or a monthly donation once a month. I want to thank the $25 Patreons who are Sake Holster, Daniel Treadwell, Keith Calamore, Daniel Lee, Nick Theodosian, Tristan Smith, Melissa Ridings, William Nave, and Jon Snow. And then king of the Patreon is John. Bieza, I'm going to have to call him and give him an extra week because I know that's not how you pronounce his last name. It's Italian. Spazia. 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 Yeah. Spazia. Yeah. I think it's like a Zia at the end. Yeah. I, think, I mean, that much I could probably make out, you know, but it's just that like I E Z kind of, you know, Spazia. A lot of it. A lot of vowels. Yeah, I know. So many vowels. All right, Rob, thank you so much for coming on the show and telling us about the Avidity Arms PD-10. Just remind listeners once again where they can check out this gun, where they can follow all the stuff that you're doing on social media, all that good stuff. Yes, the internet. Uh, we're out there. Avidity, if you put the words in, Avidity Arms, put in Rob Pincus, put in Personal Defense Network, put in, I hate that idea in training, probably you're going to find someone criticizing me somewhere. I'm in the last 30 years or 30 minutes and that's okay. Uh, but I'm out there on the internet. Uh, Rob Pink is P-I-N-C-U-S and Avidity is A-V-I-D-I-T-Y. All right. Perfect. All right, guys. Well, I am out of here and maybe next week I'll do like a Christmas edition or something. We'll see. But yeah, thanks again for listening. Rob, thank you. And on that note, we're out of here. Thanks. Bye. Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.